Get off my world. Get off my world. Get off my world. Welcome to a live podcast recording of Get Off My World, a podcast about Doctor Who. We are three middle-aged nerds who love the old series and tolerate the new one mostly, and are occasionally joined by a few guests, and that's who we have today. My name is Pat. I'm Kelvin. I'm Joshua. And we're joined by... I'm Ariel Leaf. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. I remembered my name. Yes. (laughs) We're off to a good start. (laughs) After this week and remembering your name counts as like a, a badge ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> so for each podcast, we do five rounds rapid. And for our Convergence episode, we're going to focus four of those rounds on the last four episodes of the most recent Peter Capaldi Doctor Who series, 10. So that would be Empress of Mars, The Eaters of Light, World Enough in Time, and The Doctor Falls. So we'll start. So if you haven't seen any of those, yeah, we you still s- plan to, <laughs> you should probably leave. So let's start by talking about Eaters of that. Empress of Mars. <laughs> Eaters, of Eaters, Mars. Of Mars. Eaters of Mars. Eaters of Mars. Would have been a much better <laughs> Galactus episode. shows up in the Doctor Who universe. It's amazing. It's just Peter Capaldi literally eating candy bars for an hour. And it is... I would still watch that. Can, yes. it also, yes, can, would. can it also feature the rock creature from NeverEnding Story just slowly peeling <laughs> the planet away? <laughs> Two things. We're getting dangerously close to our improv structure at the end. <laughs> Two, it's funny how like just a line flub is usually better than uh, Mark Gattis script. <laughs> oh. I'm kidding just for podcast purposes. Yeah, I, we love I, 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 I will just say... Uh, in general, I, I have not been a huge fan of Mark Gatiss's writing. This is probably my favorite Mark Gatiss story, though. Yeah, I enjoyed it yeah. for being sort of aggressively like the classic series. It really felt aggressively like, like a middle of the road episode of the classic <laughs> series. Almost, it felt like on purpose as a tribute to the sort of like a very uh, fast, distinct challenge uh, or conflict that is in limited space. And then when it is resolved, it is resolved in like a, a happy kind of way that really does fit with the spirit of Doctor Who, but it's also still like a little oversimplified for modern Doctor Who and its morality of like, yes, you've turned lots of British people into meat cubes, but really it's about hope. <laughs> I felt like it hit all the check marks. Like someone was holding an episode of Classic Who next to it and going, okay, we've done that, and we've done that, and we've done that, and all that's left is meat cubes and hope. Yeah. <laughs> so can, can we talk about the meat cubes for a second? Yes. Because yes. uh, Has anyone ever seen the, uh, is it going bye-bye? It's a Laurel and Hardy short. And at the very, yes. very end, all throughout this short, uh, a big thug has been threatening to tie Laurel and Hardy in a knot. And then this very surreal ending, it's <laughs> Laurel and Hardy t- twisted into pretzels, and they sit there and talk to each other with their legs all wrapped around. And that's all I could think of during this entire <laughs> episode is that Laurel and Hardy. I thought it was kind of absurd instead of terrifying. I thought they just plunked down, and they'd be having bowler caps on <laughs> the little dead bodies. Funny, that's not where my mind went, Josh. <laughs> I liked that effect because it's a literalization of the old 1960s optical effect where the ice warriors would shoot, mm-hmm. and they would... 
distort the image in this yeah. kind of wow, wow, in, out thing. So they just made that into this horrifying result, <laughs> the new show. Yeah, I'm pro meat cubes. I, you know, I think you know we have enough just like burning to death or ah, or burning in the chest. Like, yeah, great. Be more inventive. But I kept know? wondering where the ooze was. Like, if you were squeezed into a cube, wouldn't stuff come out? Like, wouldn't there be gush somewhere? Mm. Freeze dries them instantly. Mm. Mars, yes. is a, Mars is a cold planet. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the name Ice Warrior. <laughs> yes, freeze packing warriors. Yes, they're saving them <laughs> for later. That's great. Uh, and I really, I did like that. This really reveled in the monster too. That like it just had so many shots that was that were just having fun with the monsters. And I think sometimes in the in the new series when monsters have come back, we get very excited, and then we end up not necessarily spending that much quality time with them. There's like one or two cool shots, and just how much time it spent just listening to the the Empress in watching her slowly walk places. <laughs> it's like, that's, that sounded like I was objectifying the Empress of Mars. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I enjoyed her as a monster. Hey, check out the Empress of Mars. They gave me enough time to like look at like how how some of the special effects and the and the makeup and like I was I was really like enjoying her. Yeah. 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 I mean I, I like how it just kind of filled in some blanks of like you know, Mars being a dead planet, but no, there are still ice warriors. Yes, there's still a big part of, like, galactic civilization and large. And I always kind of was fond of the ice warriors because they're one of the comparatively few Doctor Who races that could be villainous or could be allies. Yeah. You know, they're kind of like uh, next-generation Klingons in, the, in that sense. And I always found it strange that Doctor Who never had a lot of things in that niche. They're usually just straight up, we're trying to conquer everything! <laughs> yeah, it's or, like these guys and the Draconians, and those yeah. are the only ones that come to mind. Maybe the Chelonians, but that's getting into... That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other yeah. thing I found myself having a little bit of a err with, and I, I don't know if it's just that I felt like this has become really constant, but where you where where the opening shot or something happens and it's it's in the future, it's what we're going to get to at the end, and then the entire episode goes back to mm. that. I feel like there's been so much of that. Yeah, I feel like that's a big trope in general, but then with Doctor Who, it's like, how did this weird thing happen? Probably time travel. <laughs> how did this weird thing happen? The doctor. <laughs> Pat, how did you feel? Well, I watched this so late that I don't really remember it very much at all. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, sleep no more, hero of Isla Wanda, Zulu. Yeah. And it's like underlined. And so I'm going to try to reconstruct my thoughts from whatever evening it was that I will watch this. I... I Basically enjoyed it. I'm with Kelvin. I thought this was probably the best Mark Gatiss script that uh, he's done for a while. I'm not sure whether I admire or resent the way he's trying to thread the needle on British colonialism stuff. Yeah. Because I yeah. mean, clearly you're using you know, 19th century colonial soldiers and they're playing with those motifs. Again, the hero of Isla Wanda, uh, even the, the semiotics of some of the Empress's hair, like she's got dreadlocks. And the end they're talking about there's something here about soldiers and honor and so it's kind of like Adis is trying to have it both ways it's like okay we're going to celebrate the triumphalism of the British soldiery but also question it at the same time and I'd have to rewatch it again to see whether it's something that he did effectively or is just in the atmosphere being played around with like yeah. getting Pauline Collins back as Queen Victoria or Casting the same woman as Alpha Centauri. <laughs> that was great. Oh, yeah. I, I was that. so happy when that happened. Yeah, I felt like he was trying to, you know, obviously take the, the idea of uh, colonizing everything super far by going to Mars, but then still saying, like, but individual soldiers, you know, individuals aren't always 100% responsible for the larger thing. 
Um, and I don't think that Alpha Centauri had any uh, relationship to that thematic. No. <laughs> I think that was just a fun thing I, on the I, screen. I was just kind of impressed with found a way of putting Alpha Centauri into the story without making her or it or whatever uh, pronoun you, you choose for Alpha Centauri, uh, without making it look ridiculous. Yeah, just let it sound ridiculous, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's great. Yeah. So where are we with this? Let's go down the line. Is Are we... Um, pincers up, pincers down. Yeah, pincers up, pincers down, Ariel. <sighs> pincers up. I'm pincers up, too. I'm, I'm, I'm pincers up. Mine are up because it's more of a shrug. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> pincers up. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's like a pincers, pincers in the middle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I, like an ice warrior, I can only raise my pincers to about shoulder level, so <laughs> technically they're up. They only <laughs> Okay. So the next episode is uh, Eaters of Light. <laughs> I'm trying to think if we can switch that with Empress of Mars. <laughs> Eaters of Empress? No, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, and this is by, I'm afraid her name, Rona Monroe? Rona? Yep. Rona? Yep. Yes, uh, who wrote, as all these nerds here know, survival from the original series. Mm. And so this one, I will say, I like quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is... Elaborate. Mainly, it's the ending that I love. It's sort of the reverse kill the moon, right? Yeah. The humans take the choice they need to make away from the Doctor, and it felt very Doctor Who. The Doctor wants to be this hero, and occasionally humans need to step in and go, we can, we, we got this, and I thought that was a great twist. I, I, anything that could be described as a reverse kill the moon, I'm going to... <laughs> I, I, will, I will react positively to, yes. <laughs> Put the dragon back in the moon. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I really... I thought the monster was nice and inventive and, like, truly looked different and it had, like, uh, mm -hmm. just aesthetically, and had a really nice contrast to, like, the actual environment. So I just really enjoyed some of, like, the basic Doctor Who-ness of it, and I thought it was a great uh, further exploration of... The Doctor and Bill in their relationship with a great companion wanders off. Like, the Doctor in general has been much more, you know, aware of his responsibility to keep his companions alive, going so far as to, you know, risk his life and extremists and go blind. And then it's like, oh, and I let her wander off looking for Roman soldiers. <laughs> but I'm sure she's she, fine. She'll she take care of it. fell into the earth for the second time, too. Didn't she fall through yeah. a hole in Empress of Mars, too? I think yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, I there's... think that was my first reaction to the episode. And, like, I kind of went back and started again to, to let myself like it. Because when she fell, I was like, oh, she fell again already? And I was like, okay, that's a terrible way to start off watching this episode. Let's go back. I like the ubiquitous Scottishness of this <laughs> yeah. story. Uh, and not in a kind of ham-handed uh, terror of the Zygons kind of way. Yeah. Just, yeah, the, the, the atmosphere felt correct. It didn't feel like, oh, you're on a soundstage somewhere or you're... Random guy just starts playing bagpipes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to look that up to see if it was an anachronism or, you know... Like your electric eels in the North Sea that yeah, made you so no, sad. No, they don't that, live there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but no, it's, it's not anachronistic. They, yeah. they, they could have stuff there. Also, many points for using my favorite quotation from Tacitus about <laughs> Roman soldiers. They make a desert and they call it peace. Mm. One of my favorite lines of all time. So uh, I also liked the ending, Josh, but it reminded me a little bit too much of. Do you guys remember when they were trying to write out the Justice Society of America back right after the crisis? Like it was yesterday, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> they keep, DC kept trying to do that because they're like, we can't have these oldsters running around, so they would have them, you know, suddenly reverse age or whatever. There was a period there where they went into an extra-dimensional vortex to fight 
the gods of Ragnarok, not the Doctor Who gods of Ragnarok, but like the, the, the Norse <laughs> the gods, gods that, yeah, uh, for eternity. And they were just going to do that for all time. So I just yeah. couldn't get that out of my head as watching Eaters of Light because that's what... So there's, there's no uh, other connection I'm to not, it. I'm not going anywhere with that. I just, I just wanted to talk about the... I, I guess one of the things that I liked about the ending is that I think it's important for anybody the Doctor's trying to rescue to have the right and the power to say no. Like, yeah. he's often so much of a God figure that I think it's important to, to have him reminded as well as us reminded that people have the right to make a choice. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because there's so much, there has been in the new series a decent amount of sort of messianic stuff of like he is the savior. Yeah. People are either grateful or not or whatever or, or he is forgotten or he is remembered. And I like that this was a very like human transaction of he's like, there's basically like a repetitive, low skill job that needs to be done for millennia. I guess I'll do it. And the human's like, no, we're good with that. <laughs> you know, so it's always a, a much more a down-to-earth uh, sort of transaction rather than making it, like, godlike. Well, and the nice counterpoint is that earlier on in the episode, he says that he thinks everyone sounds like children because he can understand what everyone is saying. So oh, yeah. he must think of himself as the only adult in the room most of the time. And so to have the humans actually have the power of choice and decision-making ability and to resolve it for themselves at the end is the counterpoint to that. Mm -hmm. This also goes a little further, too, because he understands what the crows are saying. Caw, caw. You know, in an earlier <laughs> podcast, we talked about that joke where the doctor mistakes a chicken for the intelligent life form on the planet. And, <laughs> and what this might mean for the Doctor Who universe, if he can understand things, creatures that we don't think of as intelligent at all, and what a kind of monstrous slaughterhouse that universe <laughs> I protect this but, planet well, except I mean, for all of the cows and, and <laughs> I know we're going to get there but in the next couple episodes at one point he points out that the pigs have a mother yeah uh, and, and mm -hmm. so the, you're, you're making a choice to judge who is who has feelings and, and it's, kind of, it's kind of like a weird flashback to the sixth doctor era where they like really hinted at him becoming vegetarian yeah mm -hmm. there's a an equivalence here between uh, morality and language too they bill comes to understand that she's speaking latin at some point which is a, a neat way of of developing this universal translation concept that's always been in doctor who but i i was thinking that you know an unaccompanied young woman in a nest of Roman soldiers would be a kind of a dangerous situation. Uh, Doctor Who isn't going in those kind of directions, but the fact that she can speak Latin probably protects her more than anything else. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Because, the, of course, the ancient Romans were like, well, speaking Latin is a mark of civilization. It's not like these barbarians who I can't, mm -hmm. can't understand. You can do anything to them, kill them, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and I liked how Bill was, I think, one of the first companions who really presented the idea of how the translation works is almost romantic. Like, it's been thrown off as an explanation before, and there's jokes, but she was, like, had that great, like, line and delivery of, like, oh, of course it's the doctor. And it had this feeling of, like, this is, this is a beautiful thing. This is one of the things he does. He doesn't just save, that he connects. He, he brings peace and understanding in between blowing people up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One, of, one of the things that I've enjoyed about Bill as a companion is that she, there's, she's really so much jumped in that you haven't seen all that exposition where he explains how the translator works and he explains yeah. why they do what they do. They just go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's something very alive about that. I feel uh, a little more anticipation every time an episode goes on because I feel like it could go anywhere. Yeah. 
wanted to say briefly, like the whole thing that the crows are just remembering this person's name. Um, I don't know if you remember from Saturday Night Live, there was a, a reoccurring bit, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was a big fan of those, and, and one was literally just, the crows seem to be calling my name, thought Caw. <laughs> and, and it was like that was like all I could think of at that moment. That is how the episode should have started with yeah. like the doctor traveling back to 1987 and seeing that on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Come full circle. I will also lastly say that I really like the popcorn gag like way too much for the doctor's escape and, and the reason is I think a lot of times the new series he escapes and does things by again being this sort of godlike figure he yeah. doesn't do as much just dumbass stuff that in all likelihood would never work in real life this is more like the old series it reminded me yeah. of something a Sylvester McCoy gag and they'd all run out and it just entertained me highly to, to escape with a bag of popcorn points off though for not acknowledging that the Mary Celeste it was deserted because the Daleks killed them all. <laughs> yes. yes. Contradiction. Yeah. Like there's none of those in Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, so voting time then on yeah. this one? Or? Yeah. Bagpipes or crows? Bag- <laughs> Which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am going to vote caw, caw, caw. Oh, so bagpipes is ne- are negative. I don't know. They're like, I, the, I, they're I like the funeral dirge. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Okay. That, that, that was my impression of a crow saying the word bagpipes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how good it is. It gets ah, a, a crow ah. playing a bagpipe vote for me. It's awesome. It's great. I think we're all you know, unanimous here so we can all caw together, right? Yeah. yeah. Ah. All right, round three. Three, yeah. All right. World enough and time. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's talk about the title first in relation to our podcast because we're super egotistical like it's, that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for our Valentine's Day episode, for one of our rounds, I just read Andrew Marvel's To His Coy Mistress, which contains the phrase world enough in time, because I thought, oh, this is kind of like the Doctor and River Song story in, in the Christmas special. And uh, we just did it straight. There wasn't any kind of parody, but apparently somebody was listening to our podcast <laughs> and decided to title this after after us. So we take credit for it. Of the good parts. As ahead of the curve. <laughs> so, you know, I, I knew John Sim was coming back as the master because I'd seen the trailer and the yeah. photographs and stuff, but maybe I'm just mm-hmm. dense or whatever, but I did not see the disguise at all. I, I like, really didn't no, see No, I didn't it. either, no. No, I, I felt very chided when I looked at some of the online commentary and it's like, of course this was obvious. <laughs> it wasn't where I expected him to come from. Yeah. I expected him to be more behind the scenes, like yeah. running the creation of the, the Cybermen yeah. or something. I didn't expect we him to might be, just be sitting old, next to him. Because my son, like, in two seconds went, it's the master! And I was like, no, it is. Oh, it is. It, is. <laughs> it totally is. It is cartoonishly yeah. the master once you can well, see and, it. And, that is, and it's that cliched like, ha, I'm not who you think I am, and like, they just pull their face off. <laughs> that was cut together really, really well. That was yeah. a great full face pull. Like, yeah, that deserves like, some awards in editing. Yeah. Because we didn't even get, like, the, like, the beginning of the shh, yeah, 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 the, It was just, like, the energy of the, I'm gonna do it, you guys all know what I'm gonna do, and cut back. Yeah. Aha! I kind of wish they'd done the homage, though, and they had the shot of the really bad mask with the big eye holes we yeah. didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> looking through right before he pulls it off. Yeah, and that would have been great if he just really did have, like, sticky stuff all yeah. over, like, bad cosplay after you get drunk, and she's like, I can't get it all the way off, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
<laughs> He's gonna have to shave his eyebrows now because the glue's in it. This has been on for years. This has been on for at least ten years, if not more. I, I, I will say I was genuinely surprised and very pleased how original model Cybermen still are really creepy in modern day uh, context with modern day effects and everything. Arguably even creepier are the sort of proto-Cybermen with the, the hoods over them and the keyboards that they just keep, yeah. keep hitting the sound pain Bang. over and over. <laughs> yeah, I think the pain button is yeah. immediate iconic Doctor I, Who that's going to stick with us for an incredibly long time, both like with actual like uh, weight yeah. because of the, the storytelling, and it's great, but also just into kind of our, our, our meme yeah. anxiety. Yeah, we need uh, to have an yeah. app for like your day job where you yeah. just hit a button and go, pain! <laughs> just, 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 pain! <laughs> I like that it made me care about the Cybermen. I don't think I've ever yeah. cared about the Cybermen before. And and the minute that button started being hit, I was and, and when she turned it down when she said I'm sorry and she just she muted out his sounds of pain. <laughs> oh that was Well and that and that, that sort of head apparatus thing is like, well well will that stop the pain? Well it'll stop you from caring about it. <laughs> and I was like, jeez. Yeah, I admire the the way that they made the Cybermen feel fresh again by going back to the original medical horror conception of it, because over the years they've become more or less just another breed of monsters as far as I'm concerned, but going back to this, to see the transformation and to have Bill's eyes behind the screen of the cyber mask is very effective. Yeah, and I think even when we're being introduced uh, to the, the proto-pain Cybermen uh, that Bill is basically one of them. So we have this character that we've come to love who's an amazing companion and right away we have like our human introduction. It's not like we even have to meet another random character who is becoming a Cyberman to humanize it because it's coming through Bell, yeah. which I think is super powerful. And I, I was kind of pleased to see actual sort of science in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. You know, the really long ship that's near a black hole, so the time dilation effect happens where like it's much slower, closer to the black hole. And also, that is how speakers work. The volume knob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The science done correctly on yeah. on speakers. I couldn't decide when I was watching this episode at first until it started really going near the end if it felt too long because I was like, I know this is a two-parter, so is this being stretched out a little bit far? And then when I got to really have, you know, because you saw the chess piece right away, like it was no yeah. surprise that it was going to mm. turn out to be a Cyberman. And at first I was kind of like, ah, oh, like I I get a little tired sometimes of the repetition of our favorite enemies you know mm-hmm. like are you afraid that we won't like doctor who if you don't bring back the daleks five times this season mm-hmm. um but the humanizing and, and the sort of horrible hospital nightmarish yeah. quality to it made it all very fresh for me was anyone annoyed in an incredibly pedantic way by having two you don't have to finish this episode. okay yes <laughs> all right well thank you <laughs> You're at a convention, jeez. Yeah, Joseph. okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, uh, yeah. No, the, I wish that there hadn't been two time dilation type episodes back to back with Eater of Light, with the time moving differently, mm-hmm. and that being mm-hmm. such a major plot point, because I think it was even be- more important in this uh, great concluding two-parter, and I wish that it had been shuffled around so we didn't have that similar dynamic of time is moving at different rates for our characters. Yeah. That honestly didn't even occur to me. I feel real dumb now. Well, I'm <laughs> happy to introduce something else to annoy you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Should we talk a little bit about Missy play-acting the Doctor mm-hmm. at the beginning? Which yeah. I thought was a wonderful sequence. Again, it's a, a kind of running thing in contemporary Doctor Who, that being the Doctor is something that can be learned and can be taught. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was a good comic example of that. I think Moffat and Gomez, they, at this point, 
performance and the writing just melds perfectly. Um, in her earlier appearances, some of the, that kind of stuff felt a little forced. Here, it's just it's just perfectly delivered, and you can't imagine you can can't imagine someone else doing it or someone else kind of pulling off some of those lines. They're really over the top comedy lines, but it, she just sells it. Yeah, if she's really gone, I'm gonna miss her because her timing and her and she's so on point. Yeah, huh. yeah. The thing I liked about that is I thought it was really successfully funny, but I also thought in like uh, previous seasons when when the doctor was sort of teaching Clara to be doctor like, it felt like he to me it felt like he was trying to get someone to share the burden of very hard decisions. And this, it feels like, is a part of the story of this doctor becoming more comfortable and confident with who he is and saying, hey, I am a good example and I'm confident that if you are more like me, that is a good thing for the galaxy instead of, uh, everything is dark and I need somebody to share that with me. So I felt like it was a really positive thing to be, be like me, I'm good. Well, and there's the, isn't there the line? Maybe it's in the next episode, but where Bill says, where Bill is asking why he's so bent on making Missy good, and yeah. basically she says it's because then you you're good too. Yeah, uh, it's still a really dumb idea. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean within the story to expect that to work out at well, all. Yeah, even on her own terms, even setting aside what the master was like in previous incarnations, this Missy like invented the idea of an afterlife and captured the souls of all human beings and turned uh, turned Clara's boyfriend into a... Th- ah, which is, how do you redeem something like that? The, the, yeah. the deaths in Legopolis alone, the, the mm-hmm. billions of yeah. people he has killed, Clara is says, the murder on a, on a scale that you can't comprehend. Yeah, Clara says, uh, if you let this creature live, I don't even know... Yeah, which, where she goes with that, but it's just like, you can't, it's impossible. This is far too dangerous a person to let live. I just always kind of go back to the idea that they're almost brothers, brother, sister, whatever relationship yeah, yeah. you have, and, and you see relation that kind of relationship of people who have children or, or family members in jail for some horrible crime, and they still believe that somehow that redemption is possible because they can't do otherwise. I still think mm-hmm. the master is really Susan. <laughs> my, we will meet again and my, again and again and again my my little thing is that the master is actually the doctor's son or mm-hmm. doctor and part of the reason he, he left Gallifrey with Susan was to get his granddaughter away from his messed up son <laughs> <laughs> this is a fun family show but what was I going to say <laughs> well, uh, if you it comes about it, yeah. If it comes, yeah, to yeah. You, Did anyone here. else feel like the cartoon hole in Bill's chest was a little over? It was the top? very big, and then they're was like, it, was it a "We've back? replaced your heart and your sternum and, and most of your yeah. other organs and your back." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like uh, just the heart, just floating there yeah. in that massive hole. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it took me a little a little bit out of it because the doctor's like, "Hang in there." That's a little, yeah, yeah, a little Monty yeah. Python of like, "No, no, no, she's still okay. <laughs> she's hold <laughs> on. It's all cauterized. We're good." <laughs> <laughs> she's not gonna. Well, like that, you can try to resuscitate her, and your yeah. hand just goes to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that that scene of uh, you know, and God, this is a weird thing to bring up, but. Repo Man, where his his friend gets shot, and he has this huge, massive death rattle gasp, and he just goes, you're going to be all right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Josh, I want to get your thoughts about John Sim as the master, because you're on record as just loathing him as the master. Yes, I am. Is this any better? I I liked him a lot here. Well, and Moffat was... 
intentionally kind of positioning him as old school master versus Missy. So I felt like Moffat went back for some more Delgado esque yeah. ideas, including the goatee and everything. And yeah, he seemed to lose some IQ points since he last appeared. He seems a little dimmer um, than Missy, uh, almost like uh, Moffat wanted to sort of have you side with her well, yeah, but maybe yeah. we'll, we'll put a pin in that for the next episode well yeah I'm not, I'm not sure where, where this version of the of the John Sim master uh, came from but you know the, the only character with a more nonsensical continuity than the doctor is the master <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean how did he get back from like the crashing Ronnie TARDIS with dinosaurs growing in <laughs> yeah I mean there's just I so much barely stuff, sleep yeah. at night <laughs> 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 uh, uh, I, yeah, I'll say in appreciation of the, I, I rewatched this episode because I think it's even better the second time once you know if you're not as smart as Joshua's son, <laughs> who can instantly recognize the master, uh, and, and rewatch it again. I think it's a marvelous performance, and I think it's well written because I, I think he, John Sim Master always had an element of comedy, but I think sometimes it, it did uh, uh, verge into the, the comedy of just, I'm so crazy, I just said a crazy thing. And the, uh, <laughs> all of his manipulations of Bill are funny and nuanced in like they have a little bit of subtlety to them while also being ridiculously over the top and I think really excellent. Yeah, and, and he's pleased with himself in that yeah. God yeah. about oh that was evil. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, it was it was such a it became such a weirdly trendy thing, um I think in, in various media to like suddenly start pattering all villains after the Joker. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the master's always been sort of a Lex Luthor type villain. Well let's make him Joker type villain and I and I wasn't Against that per se, but it was still—I I don't think done in a way that I liked. <laughs> so, and, and Missy's still written in that style. I she's just still think, kind I of Joker, yeah. better at writing. She's more like—I guess she's more like uh, to keep using Batman metaphors. I guess she's more like the Riddler now. Yeah. Or an evil Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> I am also Mary Poppins, y'all. Um, so, are, are, do you have more thoughts, Pat, or should we push our pain or joy buttons? <laughs> I, think, I think, yeah, let's push our joy buttons, right? Yeah. Uh, joy, 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 joy. It was great. Just, just that joy. whole, the whole ending when the doctor suddenly realizes, oh my God, that's Bill. Oh my God, that's the master! Oh my God, that's the other master! <laughs> just, this just, is the worst day ever. Just, <laughs> the look on Capaldi's face yeah. is just like, like I can't even process what's yeah. happening. Yeah, he's like us on the podcast. I'll put a pin in that. I'll put a pin in that. I have too many pins. <laughs> then the doctor falls. Uh, <laughs> a moment. Okay. <laughs> now let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anyone who disliked this episode? Is there such a cold, soulless monster walking among us? I just want to say, do not like this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I do like this episode. I it loses me at the very end, and I don't know if we want to start at the end. You mean the twist? I get lost in the moment where the Doctor blows up all the Cybermen, huge world-shattering explosion, and he's just left there kind of just looks like, again, kind of a sketch comedy, just his hair's must and little stuff on his face. I mean, it plays because we love Capaldi, right? Yeah. Uh, but it gets cartoony from there, and I don't, I don't, I didn't ultimately find the Bill solution that's satisfying. At the same time, Moffat painted himself into a corner, and I don't know how you could really get out of that any other way, but it, it just felt a little off to me, and I've only watched it once, but, mm-hmm. uh, and even her leaving his body in the TARDIS at the end, and just being like, okay, well, he'll be fine, he's dead here, <laughs> Let's, I'm gonna just hop into space with this girl, like, kind of 
watched from afar for an episode, and it yeah. just it emotionally where it lost its legs. For yeah, me there. I think any nitpicks that I could give it for any sort of clumsy execution or any sort of a, a repetition or rhythm with with Clara's mm-hmm. uh, finale that other people have pointed out, mm-hmm. all of that for me is, was trumped by how much I like Bill, how great an actor she is, and how much this was a story almost always about her as a companion with agency without like highlighting it too much. So I did really like that she, at, at the end of her journey, was making her own decisions. A yeah. uh, thing that started in the beginning, the first episode of the season, people being very uh, concerned that this was a trope that was being fallen into of we have introduced a lesbian love interest only to have them, one of them, apparently die or be separated. So then to come back around to this much more, to me, interesting and progressive ending of they can go off and have adventures in There's an interesting water, life together. Yeah. It's space water. It's that happy, classic story. You know, I can think of logical problems, but really my only disappointment is I just want more Bill. Yeah, well, maybe we can have you know. a Bill meets Clara and a Shildar <laughs> no, story. No, because I have plenty yeah. of Clara. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, there's got to be reams of fanfic about that out there. My, my only thing is, and, and I, it's come up for me a couple times during the regeneration, is why does he not want to change? I mean, is he just old and tired? Uh, uh, I have so many thoughts and feelings. I, okay, uh, because it, for some reason it bothers me that I, he doesn't want to move I, on. Well, I always, you know, I, I, um, I always felt like that's kind of how regeneration should be handled. It's not, you know, like you're surviving, it's you're dying. You, you are not, you, you are, your personality is erased, you're gone, you lose things. And something else comes to take its place and you don't know what that's going to be. And yeah. it's just scary, and it's just usually the doctor's been in a position uh, historically over 50-plus years where when that happens, he, he you know, it's sudden enough that he doesn't have a, a lot of time to really process it much. Yeah, and then Tennant used that time to uh, go get his friends late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and to me, I think it was, I think it's a, a fresh take on regeneration, and I think Moffat's done a great job at like picking up every little part of Doctor Who and re-examining it and saying, what does it really mean? So I think it works just for that, of what does regeneration truly mean to the Doctor, but then I think it's so specific to this Doctor that he started out with the, who am I? Am I a good man? He goes through this whole journey mm-hmm. with Clara. He's not still not exactly sure if he's a good man, but he's kind of trying to teach her to be like him and hand off this weight. And then when it finally gets around to him, he in this season he is a grandfatherly figure, like explicitly, who is comfortable with who he is, who is enjoying his adventures, who has some optimism and some hope about Missy, and it feels like he is a version of the Doctor who has gone on a journey and really got to that place of, like, I started by asking, who am I? And now I feel like I know. I feel like I have accepted, like, in this beautiful speech in this episode of sometimes the things I do are dumb and futile and they don't really make sense and I don't really save everyone, but I at least try to be kind. And it feels like he answered his own question that he's had over this whole three seasons, and then immediately after that moment of epiphany, now change. Yeah. Now start over. Oh, yeah. It's like everybody, somebody knocked his soul blocks over and said, <laughs> and rebuild them from here. And then the last thing I'll say, and then I'll shut up, is I, I think it's great that it matches what uh, Capaldi himself said, that he wanted to be an amalgam of all the doctors. He wanted to truly be the doctor and take a little something from every incarnation. And if you imagine that being a meta to the character itself, that this Doctor feels like, I've brought all the different ideas of who I can be together, and I feel set. That that makes it even more rich to me. 
<laughs> I set you up for that on purpose. I thought you deserved a round of applause. He definitely has the most complete character arc of the new series. Yeah. yeah. Where it yeah. feels like it's really come together. And so you can also identify as a viewer because, yeah, I find, I, I get this guy. And yeah. he's gone. And there's also something in Moffat's to take some pleasure from doing his own take on things that Russell T. Davies already did, right? And so he's going to do his own take on the long goodbye of yeah. David Tennant, even referencing the line. Yeah, it. yeah, and I felt like that was, like, we rewound and watched that cause, uh, to kind of see what the tone was, and I, it felt to me like he blurted that out because he's having all of these memories of all of these mm-hmm. different companions, and he blurted that out, and I had that epiphany of like, oh yeah, I said it before when I was that guy, but I said it for different reasons then, and to me it gave weight of reminding him of like, I don't remember when I was that other guy, I don't want to be another guy. Mm-hmm. I think this, the sadness that I had, and probably the only time I've been a little bit sad about there being a regeneration, is that finally he got some great writing, and a great companion, and like, mm-hmm. it, it felt like, I want these two to keep going for yeah. a whole other season. And Nardal. I'm, I'm all I aboard the Nardal train. I've, I've always liked Nardal. I was always weird now when people, I, I see negative comments about Nardal. I'm like, what the heck, people? It's just not right. Leave Nardal alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I stand for bald, bespeckled solidarity. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> uh, Pat, what did you think? What, what obscure, uh, deep literary uh, quotes and themes did we miss in this episode? <laughs> no, I, I really like this episode a lot, too. Although, I admit, I, I'm with Josh a little bit. It kind of scrambled emotionally by the end for me. Because on the one hand, it's like, Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch. (laughs) Everybody's going out. Uh, But on the other hand, everybody lives. Even assuming that Missy... uh, We haven't seen the last of the Masters. Come on. So both both Masters are surviving. The Doctor's surviving in a new regeneration. Bill lives. Nardle and the kids all live. So as as apocalyptic as it is, only Cybermen are killed. the, The fact that the Doctor is killed and regenerates is what for me, has always made Doctor Who better than things like conventional DC or Marvel comic storytelling, where death is just never permanent, and, every, and there's going to be a commercial decision to bring the Martian Manhunter back from the latest time he got killed, for example. But we know that the Doctor does have a definite end point, even if he goes on. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm feeling about... Um, these last-minute Deus Ex Machina, the the Water Lady coming back to save Bill. I'm glad that Bill is alive, but I'm like, eh. wouldn't it have been more powerful to have some real tragedy going on? I don't know. I I, I wonder if it's just kind of like a way of um, reacting to what happened to Donna Noble, because what happened to Donna Noble was awful. Oh, yeah. terrible! I, I actually and, stopped and, watching for quite a while yeah. after that because I was so upset by it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was like tragic to the point where it just wasn't. It was so tragic it like almost wasn't meaningful. It was just like gratuitous and mean or something. It was I mean, Bill still suffered a lot in this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. He, he yeah. Lived alone with creepy master in a latex mask for ten years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Arguably how how long was she supposed to be with the doctor? Maybe a couple months. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> then she spent ten years with the master, had a cartoon Wile E. Coyote style hole punched in her mm-hmm. chest and lived as a cyberman. So still, I wouldn't say it's a happy ending. I guess it, I guess it is happy for us as a viewer, um, but uh, she got put through the ringer. Mm-hmm. She, she doesn't even get half the time or experiences with him that most companions do. I mean, it was a mm-hmm. relatively short run. Really. 
Yeah, and I feel like a little bit of the the tragedy is uh, I, I don't think it's really brought to the surface a lot in the episode. But the Cybermen themselves, since they do go to so much effort to humanize them in the episode before, and then I I liked the the speech and the idea about this just happens wherever humans are. Yeah. Eventually, humans are going to try the Cyberman thing out. That's a part of our evolution, which I thought was a fascinating idea. But also then, like, kind of humanizes the Cybermen. So you can kind of step back and watch the Doctor victoriously slaughter all those Cybermen. But also, they just went through a lot of work to remind us those are humans who made a bad choice. <laughs> He's basically just blowing up people who made themselves iPhones on purpose. Yeah. But they're still yeah. humans, you know? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked that parallel evolution thing, and he even talks about yeah, Marinus yeah, and yeah. Planet 14. Because well, the Marinus thing is a reference to that old Grant Morrison comic, mm-hmm. The World Shapers, where it turns out it's the Vord, right? The Vord of Marinus turned out to be the proto-Cybermen, and it's all a kind of Grant Morrison-y sort of... I think um, you're saying it's like, guys, huh? Remember? <laughs> yeah? Great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's a con. You can say something like Grant Morrison-y, and everyone knows exactly what you mean. I saw a lot of great Vord cosplay this weekend, yeah. <laughs> Do we, have, we wanted to talk Just about the Master? Briefly the, ma- the briefly Master. The master. Killing himself. What? Yeah, I, I, I just—that was just amazing. Of course, the master would shoot himself in the back. <laughs> He's that treacherous. And my only question is, how yeah. did she not see that coming? Like that is such a master thing to do. You know, it felt like that old. I'm gonna stand around and talk uh, when I really should be like getting the hell out of Dodge before. Wait, something are you saying bad the master down. never obviously <laughs> walks into a situation where everything's going to turn against him? I mean, he teams up with every single Dalek he meets, every single Cyberman. The aliens no, always no, turn no, on no, him. No, so I'm, it saying, seems... I'm saying the ending where, where she gets shot in the back. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it felt like almost the old horror movie trope of like, I'm going to stick around too long oh, and then okay, the thing's yeah. going to jump out of the closet. Like, once she stabs him in the neck, she should shove him in the elevator and get the hell out. Why I, does she stick around I, until I, there's time for him to shoot her in the back? A lifetime of poor decision-making. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of the culmination of that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little irony of... Uh, I like that, that idea that even though uh, she's slaughtered all these people, that uh, her growth sort of parallels the, the 12th Doctor's growth of, like, just, like, I've been through stuff, and, man, I'm just too tired for all the violence and killing, and I'm kind of patting myself on the back for, like, I'm going to give this other way to try, but I'm still evil enough to kill you. Yeah. And I think she's got this moment of, like, I've got it all. I'm a good person, but also I murdered my younger self. <laughs> I'm having a great day. Yeah, it's, not, just, a, not, it's not a complete conversion. She's just like, uh, maybe I'll try this out for a second. And she's yeah. committing to nothing other no. than going back and seeing what the doctor's up to. Literally, I'm going to stand next to him for a few minutes and see what that's like. <laughs> and she might be like, nah. <laughs> no. Stab. <laughs> Yeah. So, final verdict? Yeah, what is it? I don't know. What What are we going to have? What's our metaphor? Weird first doctor noises? (laughs) 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 So you're saying a a, "Mm, up or a "Mm, down? Yeah, I think (laughs) up or a "Mm, down. Yes. Yes. Is a first doctor pleased or displeased? (laughs) I think it's a a pleased first doctor. It's a a, 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 up. That's a really awkward noise. Our, our, our listening audience can't see this, but I'm grabbing my lapels. Yes. yes. Uh, yes. This is a lapel grabber. It makes, <laughs> it, may, it makes the first doctor sound like a really bad rapper. I thought you mean like MC lapel grabber. <laughs> you know, having been on this podcast a number of times now, this is the least cranky podcast I've been on so yeah. far. Like, we all really enjoyed most of these episodes. <laughs> We're on the same journey with the 12th Doctor. Yeah. (laughs) 
Because we got a game. Do we, yeah, do we have I, got, I got a seven minute game. Yeah, seven, seven, seven minute game. Okay. Seven minute game. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, this is a game we like to call The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. And we've taken suggestions from you guys in the audience. And what we're going to do is we're going to pitch Peter Capaldi's Christmas special <laughs> in ten parts. <laughs> in seven minutes. In seven <laughs> minutes. We're going to go down the list here twice. Starting with you, Ariel, we have a list of things that you guys would like to see in the Christmas special. More episodes with the master. So, opening (laughs) credits, Ariel, what do we see? We see the forest where we left Missy, but we see her hands begin to glow. Ooh. Ood love story. Well, I'm still going, (laughs) okay. No, no, I'll take the ood love story. (laughs) So... Two Ood lovers are wandering through the forest. It's <laughs> my favorite poem. Yeah, they're, they're holding each other's orbs. Holding each other's orbs. When Missy's hand grabs one of them by the ankle, and we see the special effect life-sucking thing that we saw in Keeper, Keeper of Trocken, and both Ood's fall dead to the ground, and Missy regenerates into... In Ood Master. <laughs> oh. Cut to Bill next season, Kelvin. <laughs> Bill and her time traveling puddle girlfriend <laughs> wind up on the Ood sphere, uh, which is the Ood homeworld, and uh, find out from them that uh, some new dangerous and dark element has entered the, the Ood group consciousness and they spit out some vague now it's foreshadowing like type thing, the meaning of which will be revealed at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua, Connie of Convergence. <laughs> um, and the vague, weird, psychic orb ood message is just one word. Connie. 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 And they are off to find Connie. Nice. Joseph. The return of Carol Ann Ford as Susan. Yes, uh, so the uh, Ood Missy Master is uh, hot on the trail of the puddle lovers of Bill and the puddle girlfriend who are on the Ood Sphere. Uh, when, uh, when the Master sucked up the life force of the Ood, she realized that there was something interesting going on on the Ood world. What did the thing say again? What, what was my suggestion? So she goes, uh, uh, Missy Master Ood goes to the Ood Sphere and she uh, deciphers the message Connie. She rearranges the letters into a different old space alphabet that says Susan. And then the truth explodes in her mind that she has always been Susan. And when that truth explodes, she regenerates into Susan. And she regenerates with such so- force, she destroys the Ood Sphere. Good God! <laughs> Well, Ariel, we're halfway through the Christmas episode. We, we don't have Christmas or the Doctor, and we don't really have a plot. So um, now you get to introduce Canine. <laughs> so Susan is left all alone in the horrors of who she realizes that she is when she begins to hear the faint strains of jingle bells. And she turns, and a present has been placed on the ground from who knows where and who knows when. And there's a little note that just says, to my favorite granddaughter from the doctor. And she opens up the package, and it's canine. That's that's wonderful. (laughs) Oscar Wilde. (laughs) 
He's under canine in the box. <laughs> Cut to late 19th century London and a salon at which the doctor is holding forth in a company of luminaries, including Gilbert and Sullivan and Oscar Wilde and I don't even know, a whole bunch of other people and Nardal because, hey, let's get him in here too. It's Christmas, right? And they're all reading a Christmas carol out loud to one another when the when Missy's TARDIS arrives and Canine walks out or <laughs> rolls out first, followed by Missy. Kelvin, multiple former doctors. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first doctor was there, isn't he? <laughs> the twelfth doctor ran into the first doctor, so the first doctor is there. And they don't know what's going on. Like, the first doctor doesn't know who Canine is. Uh, so. To explain who Canine is, they go look up the fourth doctor. Because <laughs> the twelfth doctor is too busy fighting his regeneration to an answer the first doctor's questions. So he just, here, here, talk to the guy in the scarf. He knows what he's doing, you know. <laughs> he'll, he'll explain that. So the fourth doctor shows up just basically to provide a lot of exposition on Canine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Joshua, direct observations on diversity. <laughs> okay, well the doctor is sitting here in this salon with uh, Oscar Wilde and Gilbert and Sullivan and the first doctor and the fourth doctor and Missy who turned out to be Susan and Canine and his regeneration energy slowly coming out. He doesn't know what to do and suddenly he realizes that these all these people, Gilbert and Sullivan, Oscar Wilde, the first doctor, the fourth doctor, Susan Canine, are like the watcher from Legopolis. They're all him, and they step into him, and they merge together, and he regenerates into the next doctor who is a person of diversity. <laughs> You're going to have to wrap this up, Joseph, so no we're going to give you three separate individual things All that right. need to be incorporated into our finale. I will happily destroy the good ending that Josh just did. <laughs> A new music composer. Okay. Things in mirrors. Okay. And more mature storytelling. Okay. More mature storytelling. Uh, the, the doctor, uh, he, he regenerates into a person of diversity. We will all allow our own imagination of well, what we... Our diverse imaginations. Our diverse <laughs> imaginations, to imagine what they want that to be. Uh, the doctor has this weird uh, metaphysical moment where he is, for just a moment, aware not only of the, the Doctor Who reality, but the reality where we are viewers and fans and podcast recorders of... <laughs> this Doctor Who story, and for a moment he thinks about all of the people who have been a part of his life, and Murray Gold flashes through his mind, and he says to himself, it's been a bit loud lately. <laughs> and he or she quietly says, Murray, you've done a good job, but step away. And then he feels guilty for that, and he thinks, I should stay in this other place, this other universe that is aware of my stories, that celebrates them with podcasts. And so I will use some of that magic that I have used in the past to trap people in a cruel way, I will use for myself in a good way. And he, he, she splits off the part of him that used to be Capaldi, the doctor that was Capaldi, and he puts himself in a mirror <laughs> in our universe oh. so he can always listen to you guys' podcast. <laughs> and that has been the greatest show in the galaxy.
My friends, thank you. Thank you for coming uh, to Get Off My World, and thank you for coming to Convergence. I'm Pat. I'm Ariel. I'm Kelvin. I'm Joshua. I'm Joseph. And we're saying... Get Off My World! Oh, takes a lot out of you, doesn't it, Kelvin?